Welcome to the Michigan Out of Doors podcast. I'm your host, Drew Youngdike, with our co-host, Logan Schultz. And the podcast is brought to you by MUCC, Michigan United Conservation Clubs, and our on-the-ground program, Hunters, Anglers, and Trappers, volunteering for fish and wildlife habitat on public land. And that's supported by the Michigan Department of Natural Resources, Wildlife Habitat Grants, the Saginaw Bay Watershed Initiative Network, and Outdoor Life's Open Country Program. Here's the show. All right, welcome back to the Michigan Out of Doors podcast. This is episode number... no idea. It's it's a bunch of them. We've had a lot of podcasts. You should go check out our our previous podcasts and listen to those. But first, listen to this one because it's going to be a good one. So here in the studio, um, we have Sarah Topp, the MUCC Huron Pines AmeriCorps volunteer coordinator. We have resident gun nut and internet technology guru, Logan the Bear Slayer Schultz. Yep, not this year. (laughs) And as always, I'm your host, Drew Youngdike with MUCC. So, exciting time of the year right now. It's early October, um, bear hunting, duck hunting, um, deer hunting, obviously, archery deer hunting, and we have some upcoming on-the-ground wildlife habitat projects as well. Um, So today, really, we're just going to talk about bear hunting, we're going to talk about deer hunting, we're going to talk about public land, wildlife habitat and volunteer projects. Um, so, Logan, you, you were up. Um, you've been off the last week bear hunting in the UP, doing some duck hunting, uh, hunting a few other things, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Moose. So, <laughs> yeah, Sasquatch. Squatching. <laughs> Men. <laughs> How was your uh, luck with that one? Uh, it's always really good. World's most dangerous game or something like that (laughs) that will really help the image of hunters um so tell us about your your travels you're up in the up right i was uh spent the last week and a half or so uh enjoying all the sights and sounds of the upper peninsula um shirley's cove in Navanway, uh pine bar in ingadine cut river bar you know really all that the up has to offer (laughs) Uh, also did get outside a few times and, uh, you know, shot a few things, hunted a few things, uh, really enjoyed myself, spent, uh, every morning out there looking for bears, running a few bears around the UP, um, group did pretty good this year, we ended up taking two in the, uh, week and a half or so I was up there, uh, got some really good chases on some other ones. Uh, saw some good-sized bear. Uh, successful trip, I would say. Uh, spent every night going out and duck hunting. That was not nearly as successful. Uh, opener was, what, last Saturday, two Saturdays ago for the northern unit. And that's a little early for anything but local ducks. Um, and from what we could tell, the locals were driving around, puddle jumping, shooting every local duck that was still alive up there. <laughs> so... Those dried up pretty quick, but we had a pretty solid cold front move through uh, about halfway through the week. Uh, Still really early for migration. Uh, Our last day there was the only day we saw anything in the air. Uh, So that's good. They're moving now. So how many people are in your group? 
that went up there? It really varies by day, but people that were up there the whole time, probably probably right around 8, 8 to 10 people. Cool. Spend the whole time up there. And I've seen some pictures from from some of the successful bear hunts up mm-hmm. there, like from the the Pedigo crew and, and that kind of thing. Um, you showed me some cool YouTube clips, though, um, and pretty soon you'll be able to check those out on the MUCC YouTube channel. Yep. Um, I think my favorite part from your weekend actually was the text that we all got that said, Bear at 10 Yards did not get him on camera. Yeah, so we, uh, <laughs> I had the GoPro on for most of the week up there, so I got some uh, pretty sweet footage, you know, first-hand footage that you wouldn't normally get to see unless you're riding around and you're doing the hound hunting yourself. Um, but, the, yeah, the first morning we were up there, we pushed a bear right out in the road, and I was standing on top of him, and he came moseying right out to me, and I was probably, yeah, within 10 yards of him and uh, didn't have the GoPro rolling because I didn't know how to use it yet. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's you know, something you look back on and you regret. I mean, I got plenty of that bear on film later when we shot it, so <laughs> that's good. But whether you got it on film or not, how cool is that to be within just 10 yards of a, of a black bear in the UP? Yeah, it's... You know, looking back on the the footage I shot all week and everything, you know, you really do realize that a large majority of the population will never get to be that close to a bear or interact with bears or even, you know, interact with dogs that are working dogs that are doing their job and have a job and are very happy and excited to do their job every single time they get to do it. Uh, And just looking back on it, it kind of, you know, brings that up more and more that, it's it's a lucky, unique thing we get to do when we go hound hunting, uh, both dealing with the, the bears themselves and then dealing with the, the dogs that make that possible as well. So so how'd that go? Who, who's who got the dogs that you guys use? What, do you want me to mention names and people? Sure, like as, long, as long as they don't well, mind. I, I don't know if they mind. Okay. So I don't want to, like, bring up people. That, that's that's you know, cool. Yeah. That's cool. But it, but it's it's some of your buddies. Yeah, it's... Yep. Yeah, so uh, friends from college uh, okay. that went to uh, Lake Superior State with me up there. Um, you know, I wasn't much of a hunter before I got the uh, privilege to go to Lake State up in the UP. And, you know, the it's got a large population of people that go to that university that are hunters. You know, a lot of people... Yeah. And it's to, not like you're going to be watching football on Saturdays in the fall, <laughs> so you got to do something, right? No, we watch our... <laughs> Five-time national championship hockey team on Fridays and Saturdays. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, might drop. Uh, but yeah, so I got into it when I was uh, going to Lake State there, and I've just continued ever since. There's not much, you know. You know the UP. If you don't like, uh, especially the Sioux, if you don't like hunting and hockey and drinking, then there's really not much to entertain yourself with sometimes and uh luckily for me i like and enjoy all three but just not at the same time we want to be very no, yeah, very clear yeah, that about goes that without i mean maybe saying, the hockey and course. the drink but not the hunting and the definitely the yeah. hockey and the drinking yeah but not so. the hunting no right now so tell us about um you know your your hunting um you actually got a got a shot at a bear i did yeah yep. we uh one of the days up there i had a kill tag this year um so there was a day or two where I was the only one up there with a kill tag, so I was really focused on getting out in front of the bears those couple of days especially. And we 
pushed one out into the, into the road. And with the with the GPSs, you kind of see, you know, you got a pretty good idea of where they're coming, how fast they're coming, where the dogs are, exactly where they're going to cross, you know. Obviously, you don't have a GPS on the bear itself, so that varies a little bit. But had a bear coming right at us, according to the GPS, and then uh, a semi went by, one of the logging trucks, and bounced him off the road, up the road about 100 yards, and he... You know, changed his mind on where he wanted to cross and uh, still had a decent shot at him, but they, I mean, he was hustling. He had he had dogs coming, so he was crossing pretty quick and didn't hit him. No blood, no trail, nothing like that. So and the section he was crossing into is a section we've lost dogs in to the uh, other four-legged animals up there, so we couldn't continue the pursuit and had to catch the dogs up. And that bear gets to, uh, you know, as far as I know, run around the woods another day there, there's a couple things that that you mentioned just in, in your description there that i want to follow up on so first of all it is legal to hunt in the roadway when both sides are surrounded by public land because right, right. so i just i just want to clarify folks <laughs> for anybody that's listening out there you can't just go shooting a road or anything like that but when the road goes through uh two sections of public land on either side then it is within uh, the the legal place where you where you can hunt. Also, something there. I think a lot of people assume that when you're hunting bears with dogs, the only time that you're ever shooting them is when they're stationary out of trees. But that's just not the case. You were taking a shot at at a running bear, um, you know, as it as it emerged from the clearing there. Right. Yeah. With hound hunting, there's there's pretty much I'd say three times you get a shot at a bear as opposed to you know bait sitting where it's just shooting it over bait. Um, yep. We you know, dogs put bears up trees, and we definitely shoot them out of the tree. Uh, you know, I that's a good way to do it because you get a great look at the bear. You can judge its size. You can see if it's a boar or a sow sometimes and and uh, get a good idea of what you're shooting there. Um, occasionally, we'll push a bear out into the road, you know, and, you know, like the PR master Drew said here, these are 95% of the time they're very... <laughs> secluded two tracks that are completely surrounded by state land of course um so it's all completely legal and all that uh take shots at them there usually that'll be you know after the bear is already crossed in front of somebody so we know what size it is you know you're not just blasting at the first thing to come out of the woods because a could be a dog and b you don't want to shoot a 90 pound cub pretty much right. so or or uh <clears throat> Uh, mother bear with, that's with, with her cubs, cubs as right. the guy from downstate found out because he's now getting charged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's a separate thing there. But yep. uh, the third time or third situation where we could possibly shoot a bear is where, and this tends to happen with l- much larger and meaner bears, is the dogs will get them caught up in the woods somewhere. Uh, the bear will back up to a, a you know blowdown or something like that and just start wheeling on dogs. Um, you know the dogs nine times out of ten will get out of the way of everything the bear can throw at it but occasionally we have to go in you know not have to go in but we go in and you know fill our tag that way with the with the bear stationary in the woods somewhere and then the the other thing that you mentioned there you were saying the other four-legged creatures so when the bear crossed and went into an area that that you've lost dogs to before you know that's kind of wolf territory yep and the youtube video that you showed me i thought it was pretty extraordinary you had guys actually diving after your dogs to catch them to make sure that they didn't enter 
that patch of woods where you knew was kind of wolf territory. And I thought that was a real testament watching that video to how much you guys care about your dogs oh, and, and what you guys are willing to go through to make sure that the dogs are hunting, you know, where, where they're not going to be infringing on wolf territory as much as you can help it. And when you know they're crossing into wolf, wolf territory, I mean, you got to see the video and we'll post it up. You got guys diving after their dogs to tackle them to make sure they didn't go into that patch of woods. Right. And, you know, obviously can't speak for all hound hunters, but a, a vast majority of hound hunters, they don't, you know, working dogs, they they aren't quite pets. They have, they have a job to do, but they're treated with, you know, the same love and I would say almost a higher degree of respect than your typical house dog is because they're good at their jobs. And houndsmen pour money, time, and effort into these dogs. It's it's so much easier. And, uh, you know, I'm sure some bait setters will be, you know, upset, I guess, but it is so much easier to sit over bait and have a bear come in and shoot it over bait. And that's a perfectly valid way of hunting bears. That's that's great. You know, you fill your tag however you choose to. We're all on the same team here. Personally, I prefer to hunt behind hounds. The excitement and the, the love of it is, is much, you know, it rings truer for me. But, yeah, as a group of hunters that have lost dogs to wolves, uh, it might be a little more real for us. I, I, I mean, most houndsmen have heard the stories and they've seen the pictures and they understand what's currently happening in the UP with, with uh, dogs and wolves and the conflicts there. Uh, but until you've been in there and you've seen what happens, I mean, that really strikes home and you can darn well bet that anybody who's been there and seen what happens uh, is going to be doing every single thing humanly possible to stop their, uh, you know, working dogs, their time, their investment from crossing into that territory and having something potentially happen there. And that that's, that's a great thing that I don't think a lot of folks out there, whether they're hound hunters themselves, whether they hunt, you know, other species or they're not hunters, that they don't quite understand that about hound hunters and, and how much you guys care for your dogs. No, no, they definitely don't. And even, you know, me personally, I don't keep any hounds on my own. You know, it just I don't live in an area where that would be okay right now. Um, but everybody I hunt with has the utmost respect for their dogs and, like I said, treats them just as good as you can. And we have situations up there where we'll be, you know, parked off a blacktop and, you know, watching the GPSs and kind of seeing where the bear is going and trying to get in front of it. And we'll have people, you know, some people fly by us and don't slow down or anything. But we also have uh, a lot of tourists who go through that area and they'll stop and they'll be like, hey, you know, what are you guys doing? Blah, blah, blah. And we have a unique opportunity there to present a very positive face on, you know, hound hunting, but also hunting as a whole with people who've never experienced this. They don't know the first thing about hunting. You know, I had a guy ask me if we were hunting pigs off the side of the road there you know no we're not there's none up here but let me tell you what we are doing and how awesome it is so hound hunters get a unique opportunity to present a very positive face from this whole community and i'm not 100 percent sure most hound hunters do that i would like to think they do but i know we make a very conscious effort to take advantage of that unique situation because most people go into the woods you go to your blind or whatever you don't see another soul we see, you know, tons of cars, other people right. on two tracks. You know, we run into a ton of upland bird hunters. They have dogs usually, too. They use them in a little, 
you know, a little bit different capacity than we do, but they're usually pretty ignorant on hound hunting for bears, and we get to, uh, you know, present that with a positive face. Well, a positive face, figuratively. Because that beard dude, man, that's got to no, just I'm always, scare no, I'm always the Jesus out of folks. A, I'm the best looking hound hunter around, and B, uh, just A. <laughs> so let's let's talk about the bears that your group uh, got. Yep. Um, so you said you got a couple bears. Um, how how those happen? Let's take take us through the first one. The uh, first one was the one that uh, crossed right in front of me. That I really wish I could have got that footage because it would have been amazing. Um, but the dogs put up about an hour long chase, if that. Uh, different thing about this year is the group I hunt with had a very positive training season. Uh, they ran bears all over training area lots of small ones which is great because they run uh the dogs were in the best shape they were saying possibly ever of a hunting season so any bear we put down on they pretty much caught and put up a tree it was a great season all around uh but that's what happened here put down on a bear it crossed two roads i think and was up a tree went back in uh a buddy of mine's sister had a, had a kill tag, and she hadn't shot a bear in 11, 12 years. So she was able to uh, harvest that bear. It was very nice. Uh, they get dressed out at 170-ish, nice. if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, so, you know, she shot it out of the tree. It was a great experience. She was able to celebrate that with her, her husband, you know, two of her brothers. Her daughter was there. It was a very exciting experience for everybody. Uh, we had a... It wasn't the worst drag I've ever had, but dragging out of the woods, you know, that's a couple-hour event, always. How far back were you? I think that one, it wasn't bad, maybe six, 700 yards. Okay. Um, it was through some slightly nasty stuff, but like I said, we've had plenty worse. Um, you know, took it home, processed it up, and we ate the back straps that night. Nice. Wrapped in bacon. It was delicious. Beautiful. Sounds yep. great. Yep. And then the second one... Uh, it was a couple days later, uh, dressed out at 201, I oh, think. Wow. So that was a good size bear. Uh, guy who shot it hadn't shot one in many years, so that was an exciting thing. Uh, easy drag out. It was about 900 yards in, but it was through some pretty decent stuff. Took us a while, but yeah, another great bear. Very happy with both of those. They're, you know, going to provide a lot of meat to the people that shot them. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so what else did you hunt when you were up there? So you, you hunted ducks, uh, yeah. quail, you said, or not quail? Uh, we let's see. We hunted. We went duck hunting every night. Uh, like I said, there was really nothing flying, so it was more just getting out there and working on our decoy spreads and whatnot. Uh, last night we were able to shoot a few, but that was that was pretty much it. Um, we did shoot a good number of partridge. That's what you said. Yeah, partridge. I don't even know if there's quail out there. I know nothing about upland birds. I'll be the first to admit that. Oh, they're super fun to hunt. <laughs> super, super fun to shoot. There's a few uh, managed grouse preserves up there, the GEMS program. Yep. Um, so there's there's one that we walked through and took a few partridge out of there. And then we were also able to shoot um, uh, a couple woodcock this year, which is also, you know, smaller bird they fly around a little faster but they're very fun to shoot as well yeah i saw a couple of those where i was hunting but i wasn't getting that with an arrow <laughs> no yeah yeah no i can't imagine going after those with an arrow but it was a yeah we had a heck of a feast 
the we saved all the birds and everything till the last night there and we kind of put it all together and made some uh really good really good food that we killed ourselves so it tasted even better that's that's awesome so you know talking about food and we talked about this on the last episode but you know the the wild game aspect of hunting you know regardless of everything else at the end of the day it provides just some delicious hormone-free organic all-natural locally sourced wild game meat that you simply cannot obtain in any other way exactly and it you know obviously i'll make the argument that it it tastes better on every single level uh than something you can buy in the store you know you can't go to the store and buy partridge right can't buy woodcock i'm sure somewhere you can buy bear but i've never seen it for sale so these are unique unique uh species that taste amazing that uh can keep you fed all winter long yep well those can keep you all fed all winter long yep um so I'm going to transition now. We can talk about bow hunting the Pigeon River country. Okay. Um, my deer, on the other hand, is not going to keep me fed all winter long. Oh, why is that? Well, it's a tiny, tiny deer. Tiny, tiny deer. Okay. <laughs> but I tell you what, what, what is what it is feeding is absolutely delicious and about as tender as you're going to get. Well, that small it should be. <laughs> so uh so what uh how did this happen? How did such a tiny deer get harvested out of uh Pigeon River there? <laughs> well, first of all, so it, as Logan has teased me about unrelentingly um throughout this podcast series. It's been quite a while since I, since I've got a deer. Um I I generally still hunt I still hunt with a bow. It's a tough way to do it. Um, I haven't been successful, but I've been improving every year and kind of keeping at it and developing my skills as a still hunter. Um, So I like to backpack bow hunt. Um, So opening day, I went in about four in the morning. Um, I actually uh, saw a large mature bull elk on the drive in at about four in the morning. He was about 30 yards in front of me on the the road off Tin Shanty Road there. Um, I kind of came around a corner and he was in the road and he kind of trotted ahead about 30 yards or so, not quite sure what to do. And then he finally darted off into the woods. So pretty cool to see that on, that on cool, my way yeah. up. Very cool. Um, by the way, we, we did manage to go a little bit longer into the show without mentioning the Pigeon River country. Uh, <laughs> 21 minutes. Yep. Yeah, yep. But you know what? Like might be said, a new record. That's, that's where I'm hunting. So that's what we're talking about. Right. Um, so I pulled into actually the same area that, that we hunted for firearm season last year. Um, this is kind of the, the mile square section that I've been scouting all summer, um, you know, that, that I hunted last winter. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting to know that section very well. Um, and with, with a northeast wind, what I wanted to do is hunt it west to east. So I was kind of going into and cross wind as I was still hunting it. So I, I parked on the west end of the of the area, had a backpack about four days a gear. Um, and I kind of, actually when I first entered like a little clearing at the start of the section, um, immediately I heard this huff. So I, before, you know, before it was even legal shooting light, I had my back, or my bow, you know, attached to the bow holder that's on my backpack. So it wasn't in my hand, but even just starting to access the area, I'd already spooked a deer. So, you know, par for the course for me usually is spooking deer instead of shooting them. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I crossed along the edge of that field, kind of hunkered down under some red pines, just kind of waiting out, waiting out the light. 
and when it started to get legal shooting like that, I started still hunting down this kind of elk trail because, of course, deer path of least resistance, so they like to use that elk trail too. Um, went kind of along a ridge and a saddle and an area that, you know, I'll probably, when it gets closer to the rut, I'll probably set up a, a, a climbing stand in. But I kind of still hunted through there, didn't see anything. I found an area that, was kind of a sheltered little clearing, sheltered by some some red pines that would be a good place to pitch my camp where it wasn't going to be um, disturb, you know, it wasn't going to disturb the deer in the area too much for for camping out there for a few days. Um, so I've got a, a cryptic camo tarp as as my tent, which I, I love. It's a slumberjack one. So I pitched it, kind of hanging it between a bunch of red pine branches, and even need like ground stakes or you know or ground stakes but you know like poles or anything like that Mm -hmm. and it was so sheltered that actually i I sat down and started preparing my lunch which was this uh, wilderness athlete shake um that Mm -hmm. packed in i was sitting under like the edge of my tarp and off to my right i kind of leaned forward a little bit just sipping my shake for lunch (laughs) and i see a deer off to my right at about 15 yards um, I see a little bit of the base of its antlers, and I'm like, well, this is a pretty darn good camo cryptic tart because there's a deer 15 yards away from my tent and doesn't even know I'm here <laughs> <laughs> from my tarp. So um, I kind of slowly leaned back, grabbed my bow, leaned forward, got a little better look at the deer, and it was a forkhorn. Um, so, you know, I kind of decided early on that I was going to take the first doe I saw or <laughs> had an opportunity at and care how young um and but for bucks i want i didn't want to take anything with less than like three on a side because uh, we hunt this area you know during firearm season we plan on hunting this area for a long time into the future so if i can let the young ones go chances are there's probably not going to be too many other hunters hunting that area that are going to take it so if we let them go you know they, they might grow a little bit bigger so at least with the bucks i figure if it's less than three i'd let it go so you know with this one i let it go um, waited for that one to kind of mosey on off and, and clear, and I decided, okay, I'm going to go for a little still hunt for the for the early afternoon. Of course, left my pack. Didn't realize like a lot of my gear, you know, that I should have probably had on me was in my pack. But I started still hunting, you know, going to the west, kind of heading toward an oak tree I'd found when I was scouting, and you know, probably around one thirty or so, I'm I come out of this clearing and there's about waist or slightly higher ferns kind of a mix of dead and still alive ferns so i'm going real slow and off to my left which is to the north um i see these two does in a little kind of woodlot type area about 25 30 yards away and with the does as i mentioned i'm taking the first doe i see because i want to put some venison on the table that that's pretty much what my main goal is if i see a, a larger bug great but other than that i want venison so there's the two does and being about, I'm like a mile from my vehicle by this point, you know, through quite a few hills. So I'm thinking that that younger one, A, is going to be a lighter carry out and probably tastes a little bit better too. So I set my sights on the younger doe. Um, when I saw him, I kind of dropped to a knee. So pretty much only my head would have been above the ferns. And I was, you know, of course, all face camoed out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um my war paint, you know, <laughs> but, um, the, the bigger doe kind of caught that movement a little bit, though. It didn't really identify me. And we, we were kind of like in a stare down kind of freezing motionless for a few minutes. It finally decides 
I'm nothing or nothing worth worrying about and starts to move a little bit. So I kind of waited until both those were kind of behind cover and and I drew kind of from, you know, my bow from, you know, holding it to the ground kind of under the cover of the ferns. And when they were behind cover and it was clear, I brought it up to to full draw and that younger doe was going to cross in, you know, out of that cover and come into the open a little bit where I had a clear shot at about 25 yards. So I kind of put my pin up there, waited for it to come out. And, uh, yeah, just when it came out, made sure I was, you know, my draw was taut, floated the pin on its vitals and, and released the arrow. And I just heard this unmistakable thump, you know, of a, of a solid hit. The, the doe, it kind of trotted about 10 yards and walked about another 10 yards, went up into some woods on the other side of that clearing it had entered um and at about 20 yards just stopped and toppled right over like almost stiff-legged um so it was pretty exciting for me at at that point you know I wasn't like you know high-fiving myself like you see on tv or whooping or (laughs) doing anything like that it was pretty somber and and pretty pretty special frankly um you know I've been trying for about you know 10 years to to still hunt in in that method successfully i've killed a few does you know before that um but since i started still hunting i haven't killed one on a pure still hunt and this was my first bow kill too um so i I waited about a half hour went up to where it had toppled over and you know put my tag in its ear uh frankly and I, I thanked it, <laughs> you know, because I felt like that was appropriate. Um, but then I flip it over, and my heart sank. I was like, well, that is not the right anatomy for a doe. <laughs> um, so I, I then felt on its forehead, and sure enough, there were a couple little bumps there. So it was a button buck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was definitely one of this year's would have been one of this year's fawns. And I figured that when, when I took the small doe, I had no problem with that, with a doe. As I mentioned, though, I didn't want to take a small a young buck. Um, you know, obviously, I passed up a larger young buck, <laughs> you know, earlier in the day, and I didn't do that so I could take another young buck. Um, but you really couldn't tell without until I actually felt there um, that it was a button versus versus a doe. Um, but frankly, I got over that pretty quickly because it was still, you know, it's still legal deer. Mm-hmm. It's going to provide excellent venison. And to me to be disappointed over the fact that it was a, a button versus a doe or the fact that I took this button when it was, you know, young versus in a couple years when it's old, to be disappointed about that in any way would be disrespectful to the deer. You know, this deer died. So the only thing to do is to celebrate it. You know, whether it's a button or a trophy, the only thing to do is to celebrate it and to eat every bite of it. Yep. Um, And to me, that's the only respectful thing to do for the deer. Um, So, I, you know, I field dressed it. And, of course, as I mentioned, I I had left my pack at my my tarp, at my campsite. So I didn't have paracord. When I had to attach the tag to its ears, I actually cut off the uh, drawstring on my Under Armour camo hoodie mm. that i was wearing uh to poke through the to through the ear there um but i i had a set of butt cuffs that sarah you were there we yeah. that we got at the uh Gaylord, uh northern michigan outdoor expo those were in my pack though and the butt cuffs are this kind of cool uh product from these guys in michigan where um 
it's like a handle with a neoprene wrist strap and like a cable that you'd wrap around the, the legs to pull tight and drag it out. Well, I didn't have that, so I ended up taking off my um, like my base layer undershirt and using the the sleeves from that to tie the legs together. So all four legs were almost like hog tied together. Um, threw that up over my shoulder, put the heart in. Uh, I didn't have my Ziploc bag for the heart that I'd had, <laughs> so I took off my neoprene um, uh, forearm guard, you know, for the bowstring, and I wrapped the heart in that and tied it together. Um, Very resourceful. Yeah, you know, you use what you got on you. Um, Quite literally in this situation. Exactly. I literally took the shirt off my back to tie that deer. (laughs) Um, And, you know, as I mentioned, I had about a mile to go, but I only had about a half mile back to my campsite, you know, where I could get the the regular stuff that I needed. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, it was a pretty small deer. Um, You know, it was one of this year's button bucks. So, actually hoisted up with the legs tied together the legs over my shoulder and hauled it out like that and that's a, you know you make fun of me for all the like running selfies but i've been you know working in trail run all that kind of stuff and that kind of paid off there because you know it was a fairly quick haul out with it on my shoulder it was just hiking with a heavy load on your shoulder you know right. um so half mile back to my uh to my camp and I thought about just like, you know, create, you know, building like a buck pole there at my camp, hanging it. You know, I, I used my antlerless tag. Um, I still had a combo tag. Um, but when the, once the, it was about 50 degrees and the flies started buzzing around it, so I wanted to get it out of there, get it processed as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did pull out the buck cuffs, um, strapped one around its front legs, one around its back legs, actually crisscrossed the handles together and once i did that it actually made like a pretty good you know, like shoulder strap uh-huh. um so i used that to to haul it out put the heart in the ziploc bag that i had you know uh strap my bow on on my pack and and hauled it out so um called up my brother along the way and he met me out at his place he's got a kind of a pole barn garage that we uh process it in you know hung it from the legs I, I wanted to process it myself though i hadn't done that before um because with providing my own venison i wanted to have complete control over that process from the beginning to end without interruption mm-hmm. um drove out hunted a couple more days didn't see anything um just a couple spook does out of range and um but i tell you what once i grilled up that back strap i almost ate it like raw it was so good it was just like that's a little weird, but, you know, I, I understand <laughs> what you're saying. No, I mean, <laughs> because the backstrap's so good and so tender. It is. You know, to overcook that would have been like a sin. <laughs> you know, I basically just gave it grill marks. And, you know, you got to realize this is about as fresh a meat as you can get. It is. You, you know, this this hasn't been sitting around store anywhere. This hasn't been gathering bacteria. This has been in a cooler um literally fresh off the deer that it came from you know so i didn't have any qualms about that i you know like a good steak you give it a little sear at the edges and um yeah that was maybe the most delicious bite of meat i had because it'd been so long since since i had killed a deer and this was my first bow kill still hunting backpack bow hunting in the pigeon river country which you know means a lot to me um, even though it was like a like a, a button and not a trophy, this was like trophy venison. Like it was that good. 
So I don't know. I was I was pretty happy with it. Obviously, I wouldn't choose to shoot a button had had I been able to tell that it was a button. Right. Um, but I'd shoot a uh, you know with a tag to do so. I'd I'd shoot a first year doe any day of the week. You know, and I and I do that again, no problem, because that meat is so good and so tender. Um, I I just like to let the young bucks go where we hunt at least. Right. Yeah. Well, it's uh, quite the story, and it's a little little different than how most deer hunters do it. It's it's different, but also most deer hunters get deer a little more often than I do. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. But but that's I mean look. Um, I'm, I'm totally addicted to the venison. If you follow my Facebook posts, you know that I'm posting about the meals that we're cooking with them like every day. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we brought it in, uh, cooked up the heart and back straps here at the office uh, yesterday, um, which I hadn't had deer heart before, at least especially for my own deer. So I, I thought that was way better than I expected it to be. Yeah. Yeah, that was my first time having that too, and it was really good. Good stuff. I've had plenty of bear heart. Yeah. And that's good too. That'd be that'd be a good name for like a knight. Bear heart. Ah yes. <laughs> we haven't we haven't talked about Drew's uh weekend at LARP camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I've never done that, but no, I, but I, now I can't. Frankly, I, I still have a couple tags. I can't wait to get up to that area again during the rut. And you know, now that I've actually, you know, killed a deer by still hunting with a bow, which I've been trying to do for so long, now I'm actually willing to actually sit in a tree like a normal hunter. <laughs> right, right. You know, like I felt like I couldn't do that. Accomplish your task now. Exactly. You know, I put so much time into learning how to still hunt. Like I couldn't. If I killed a deer out of a tree before I did still hunting, I'd I'd have felt like I was abandoning all that all that time that I'd invested in trying to learn how to still hunt effectively. But now that I got it, I'll switch the two up, and I finally got a, a hanging or a climber mm-hmm. a climbing stand this year, and um, I'm gonna put it right up on that saddle ridge and <laughs> wait for a buck during the rut. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that's deer hunting. So we got deer hunting. We got bear hunting. Yep. And the other thing we promised was volunteering for wildlife habitat. And that's why we have Sarah in here today. So, Sarah, what do we have coming up this weekend? This weekend on Sunday, October 11th, we have a project at Sharonville State Game Area. We'll be removing fencing from near a parking area there so that they can access it easier and plant native grasses for pheasant habitat. Oh, awesome. So who's, who's coming out? Uh, we're going to have the baseball team from JCC, that Jackson Community College. Yep. And they're going to have about 35 of their team out with us. That's awesome. So the way this project came together is um, Tim Nichols, uh, who's one of the Natural Resources Commissioners, um, is is connected with this team. Their coach is Rick Smith. Um, he, he's been wanting to get his team out to do something, to do some volunteer work, uh, teach those young men about you know, volunteerism and wildlife habitat. And so we've been trying to get this project together for a while. And, of course, Sarah comes in and she's just like, boom, 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 we got it, you know. <laughs> and uh, so we're going to the Sharonville State uh, game area. And, yeah, the, the, you're going to have the whole team out. Um, I think you're going to have, what, 40, 45 volunteers. Some yep. other volunteers have signed up. It's going to be a great project. If you're not doing thing, anything on Sunday, um, you know, this is a great thing to do here at Sharonville State Game Area, um, help pheasant habitat, help open up hunter access. 
um, build up some of that karma. So when you go out after bear and deer and pheasant, you got that karma built up and, <laughs> and better habitat too. So Sarah, if somebody wants to volunteer for this, where can they find information on it? You can find information at www.muccc.org slash on the ground. Awesome. So sign up, volunteer for wildlife. Um, and as we've been talking about, you know, the food value of wildlife, um, before we leave, I want to plug the Deer Michigan 2015 venison poll. Um, so what we're doing with the venison poll is you all know about like your local buck poll, you know, at, like the local gas station or something like that. Um, so for instance, like if you watch like the Michigan Gone Wild Guys video, they go to the buck pole, it's a big deal. These are awesome places where hunters just get together and tell stories about deer. It's, it's a great socializing event. With the traditional buck pole though, sometimes for non-hunters, it gives off the wrong impression that folks are after trophies instead of meat. When of course, even with the, the biggest trophy, you're eating every bit of that meat, right. you know, as well. But to try to emphasize how important the food aspect of hunting is um with the deer michigan website we're doing an online venison poll and basically all we're asking you to do is if you get a deer this year if you got one from last year and you're cooking it up just take a picture of the venison and we don't care in what form that is it could be the actual deer on the ground or hanging from the pole um it could be the packages of meat it could be you know as you're processing it um on the grill on a plate on a fork um, but stop there. No, nothing past that, <laughs> you know, um, but just take a picture of it and post it to the Deer Michigan Facebook page or tag us on Instagram or Twitter. And then also like or follow Deer Michigan on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. If you do that, then what you do is you get entered into a drawing that we'll do in December after all the deer seasons are over um, or in January. We'll do this drawing and it's for a prize pack that includes the brand new Deer Michigan Cryptic Typhon Camo America hat. Mm-hmm. Um, this hat is is awesome. Will be up on the website for sale soon. But it was this is part of this package. Um, the Deer Michigan blackout T-shirt um, that I'm wearing right now that you can't see because this is a podcast. Um, <laughs> but it's a really cool shirt. You can see that online. Um, it'll be the Wild Gourmet Cookbook that's uh, published by Boone and Crockett and provided by the Gourmet Gone Wild program that we're a partner in. Um, and that was the program that you heard about on the last episode. That comes with a venison meat chart, um, which I could have really used when I was processing <laughs> right. that little button buck. Because yeah, I'll be honest, yeah. you know, I didn't have a guide with me, like that venison meat chart. I didn't have it with me. So I was kind of just winging it. Mm-hmm. Um, which pretty much meant that if it looked like meat, I cut it off um, and, and froze it and bagged it. But I'm sure that I screwed up that like ha- half of those photo. cuts. Yeah, I'm sure. I, well, that's because like I took all those little those little bits and squished them together and wrapped them <laughs> together. So I'm sure I screwed up a lot of the cuts and, and probably missed a few cuts. But I did it myself and, you know, it's it's all meat and it's all going to be good. But if I had that venison meat chart, it would have been a much more professional looking job. Mm-hmm. Um, but that comes with the package. We've got the Deer Michigan two-color die-cut truck decal that Logan's got on the back of his F-150. Yep. Um, and... What else do we got in that? 
Did not. Oh, we've got a one-year membership to Michigan United Conservation Clubs with a subscription to Michigan Out of Doors magazine. So it's going to be all of that stuff. Uh, We may have some more prizes that we'll be able to announce in the future if you keep checking out the Dear Michigan uh, Facebook page. But, you know, what this is really going to do is get hunters talking about meat more than they do now. Um, and it's also going to show non-hunters that we care about the meat and, frankly, we're ecstatic and pretty darn passionate about the meat that we get from the, the animals we hunt. And, you know, that's going to be really important as we go into the future about protecting hunting rights to make sure that the non-hunting public understands that that's the primary reason why most of us hunt. So that is the 2015 Deer Michigan Venison Poll. Uh, Check it out on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. This has been the We Don't Even Know What episode of the Michigan Out of Doors podcast. Um, Make sure you check out our previous podcasts. And, um, you know, go to mucc.org slash on the ground. If you're not doing anything this Sunday, go volunteer for Wildlife Habitat. Thank you for listening to another edition of Michigan Out of Doors Podcast. Defend your rights to hunt, fish, and trap by joining MUCC at MUCC.org.